please remain standing if you would turn to the book of jude last very last book of the bible's revelation right before revelation is a one chapter book and that's the book of jude if you've been with us on sunday nights we're preaching through it there's a reason why it's put second last the very last book of the bible the book of revelation talks about the lord coming back and this book before Revelation, the book of Jude, explains what it's going to be like in this world before the Lord comes back. I'd like us to read just verse 3, Jude verse number 3. If we can read that together, reading it out loud at verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each one that's here. I know some of ours are away. Help them, encourage them, bless them, comfort them. Lord, I know that some are on the road. Give them safety as they travel. But Lord, for we that are here as we continue through this book of Jude, would you yet add another truth that will help us to not be a casualty in these end times before the Lord comes back. Help us direct my words. Fill me with your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, Jude warns about an apostasy. An apostasy is a turning away from the faith. When the Bible talks about apostasy, it's not talking about people who have never gotten saved. It's not talking about people who were never in church. It's not talking about people who never read their Bible, never prayed. This word apostasy is people that were saved, were in church, loved God, loved God's word, and for whatever reason, they turned from that. That is this idea of apostasy. Of course, it wasn't just Jude that said that. We know the apostles said, uh, 1 Timothy 4.1, in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. 1 Timothy 5.12, they have cast off their first faith. 1 Timothy 6.10, they have erred from the faith. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 21, some have erred concerning the faith. Now, just to set the record, the word faith in the Bible means one of two things. Sometimes when we talk about having great faith, that means that we have great trust in God. So sometimes the word faith means our trust in God. We know that some have, uh, it would seem, they have greater faith than others. And so sometimes the word faith is the word trust. Other times that word faith is the embodiment of all that we stand for. So when we talk about the fact that we are people of the Christian faith, that word faith talks about the body of all that we believe. Now, when Jude says that we need to earnestly contend for the faith, he is not using that word faith as in trust. We don't have to earnestly contend that we would trust God. He is talking about the fact that we need to earnestly contend because the devil is trying to steal from us this Christian faith that we have embraced. And, of course, Jude was going to write a common letter about the common salvation, how good it is to be saved. 
And the Spirit of God changed his direction. The Spirit of God said, no, there's something more pressing. Again, look at verse 3. Jude and verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence, this was a planning to do, to write unto you the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. So it, it's not just a contending for the doctrine of the Trinity. It's, it's not just a contending for reading the Bible and praying. Yes, all of that, but it's the entire thing. Folks, when we talk about the Christian faith, it is much more than a dozen or two doctrines. It's everything that we embrace. And again, Jude is saying when it comes to the end times, there will be a great pushback against the faith that we hold to. You say, preacher, what are we looking at today? I have been challenged with a statement that probably I have heard 10 times in the last three months. Now, it might be that you have not heard it or just not heard it yet, but this has become one of the reasons why those who have been faithful to God and the faith of the Christian life for so long are turning from that Christian faith. And it goes like this. I, if, I wish you had notes or would take some notes tonight. I think it will help you because eventually you'll be accosted by this thing. And here's how it goes. Pastor, I'm confused. Well, that sounds honorable. It sounds like they're about to ask for help. Pastor, I'm confused about what the Bible tells us to do and what tradition tells us to do. How I many of you have ever had something like that thrown their way? Well, brace yourself. It's coming. And their reason for saying that is, I don't just want to do it because the Baptist tradition says do it. I only want to do it if the Bible says do it. And so if you have to write down something, this is the notion. Pastor, I'm confused between what uh, we do that is Bible and what we do that's just Baptist tradition. Now, the notion is, if it's just Baptist tradition, I'm going to give it up. And you know what? First time you hear that, it is going to sound so spiritual. I mean, you are going to want to fall on your face and say, I have found a Christian that has roots deeper than the Apostle Paul. Because it's going to sound like the person that says it to you or the person that you say it to, it's going to sound like it is so important that you get back to the Bible and the Bible only. Could I say to you, and I think we're going to arrive at the same conclusion if you'll stick with me. That has become a reason why some who have been faithful in a Bible-preaching church have got completely out of a Bible-preaching church. Well, if it doesn't have a chapter and verse, I'm not going to do it. Do you have any idea how many things you have done today that don't have a chapter and verse? We that are married have something on our fourth finger of our left hand. It's a wedding ring. Take it off. You won't find a chapter and verse for that. 
But you know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to say to you, I don't want to attend a church that has all kinds of tradition. I only want to do what there is a chapter and verse it commands us to do. And may I say to you, that is going to become the excuse to get you entirely out of the house of God. So my title tonight is Bible, uh, sorry, is uh, Scripture or Tradition. Please write it down. Scripture or Tradition. Because these that have been knocked out of a church that they have been faithful for so long aren't happy that they're out. They want to get you out and me out too. And it seems so logical. It seems so compelling. Pastor, I guess if it has to be a choice between Scripture and tradition, then we better go with Scripture. I would fully agree with that. But maybe there's not a choice that you have to make. And so let's walk our way through this scripture or tradition. Look, if you would, at Psalm 119. You can let go of the book of Jude. Psalm chapter 119. And so maybe the next time that someone says this to you or you say it to someone else, trying to so impress them that you are a spiritual giant, you need something to give back to them. Uh, you, you could say, check the pastor's website, but I don't know that that's going to cut it. Psalm chapter 119, familiar verse, look there in verse 89. Psalm 119 and verse 89, I have to find it myself. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Do you know as soon as anyone dare question the statement... I only want chapter and verse. As, somebody, as soon as somebody questions that, they'll be accused of being a Bible denier. May I say to you this evening, I'm not a Bible denier. I believe that this Bible in our hands is absolutely perfect. I believe it's perfect. I believe it's right. I believe it's true. I believe the Bible existed long before this earth was ever created and I believe that long after this earth is gone, this Bible will still be around. Could you write the first point down? The first point is we do believe in the prominence of Scripture. We do believe in the prominence of Scripture. What does that mean? The Bible is more important than anything. The Bible is the resource that we go to first. The Bible decides what's right and wrong in our life. So when I give this title, Scripture or Tradition, I'm not putting those on equal ground. Without a doubt, the Scripture is held up as high as it possibly can. Our God puts a huge priority on the Bible. David said, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. So David was a Bible reader in the day. David also said this in Psalm 119, verse 148. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. So David read the Bible in the day. David read the scriptures in night. It sounds like to David the scriptures were very important. Paul said this about a church in Berea. 
Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we won't turn to it, but Paul said about the Berean Christians, he'd just been in Thessalonica, went to the next city of Berea. Paul wrote about the Bereans, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. He said these Bereans are a better stripe of Christian. They are a better class of Christian. Why? What are they doing that makes them better? He said these, that's Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Do you know what so impressed the Apostle Paul, that church planning man, about those Berean Christians? Whatever they heard, they went to the scriptures. Whatever they were taught, they checked into the scriptures. I see the first thing is we do believe in the prominence of scripture. You know that down through time, the Bible has endured the opposition of many enemies. We know that Bible correctors have tried to dilute the Bible. Folks, it's not just one or two words that they change. It's thousands upon thousands of words that are changed. Uh, we know the Bible correctors have tried to dilute the Bible to get rid of the prominence of God's word. Uh, we know that communists have tried to destroy the Bible. I read a newsletter from one of our missionaries just this last Wednesday, and he said that they were raided by the government SWAT team. And when they were raided by that SWAT team, they pointed at Bibles and said, those things have to get out of this place. You are not allowed to use that as a reference book. I say Bible correctors have tried to dilute the Bible. Communists have tried to destroy the Bible. Classrooms have tried to devalue the Bible. Students are being taught in the public school system that the Bible is an outdated book written just by men Contemporary churches have tried to discard the Bible. But folks, we're not of that crowd. We uphold the word of God. We believe the blessed book is so perfect that we ought to read it every day. We believe this book is so perfect that we ought to conduct our lives by it. But your attitude about the Bible is one and two. Either your attitude, and, and again, for the sake of time, we won't turn to it. Either your attitude is like a man named Jehudai. If you write something down, Jeremiah 36, verse 23. Jehudai was an Old Testament character, and when they found a Bible in the house of God, they took it to the king, and the king had this man, Jehudai, read it. And when he would read one or two of those pages, he'd take a penknife, cut it off, and he'd toss it in the fire. As far as Jehudai was considered, that book is no different than any other book. But you know, in contrast to that, there was a king named Josiah. If you write 2 Chronicles 34, Josiah had an entirely different attitude toward the Word of God. They also, in his day, found a copy of the Scriptures in the house of God, and it was brought to the king. That king named Josiah read it, says, and it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. What a completely different attitude. Remember, we're chasing down this notion, if it's not in the Bible by chapter and verse, I don't want to do any of it. And if anyone challenges that, they are immediately thought to be a Bible denier I begin by saying we do believe in the prominence of Scripture. Could I give you a second thing? 
Look over there in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So certainly, I would say, if you can find it in the Bible, chapter and verse, certainly you ought to do that. Who would argue that unless it belongs somewhere else? Folks, we're not bringing animal sacrifice. You know that's true. You know that we're not going to the house of God on the Sabbath day. You know, so the Bible is a dispensational book. You have to have some lines and divisions. But absolutely, if the Bible has a chapter and verse on the need for us to do something, of course we do that. But this question doesn't stop with that. Let's look at the second thing, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 6, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. Paul is writing to this Thessalonian church, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Can you believe that? Do you know that when Paul went from city to city, when Paul led lost folks to Christ, after they got baptized, Paul began to establish New Testament Bible-believing churches in each of those towns. Yes, he gave them scripture, no doubt about it. But he also gave them some traditions in those churches that they were to follow. Look at it again, 2 Thessalonians 3. I'm not making it up, I'm reading what it says. Verse 6, now we command you, brother, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. There were some things that when Paul set up those churches, there was no scripture for. I'm sure when Paul set up this church in Thessalonica, he told them how often they should have a church service. I think he told them when they should have a church. There's no scripture for that. I think he told them that their services ought to begin with the singing of hymns. I think he told them that their services ought to continue with Bible preaching. Folks, when Paul set up this Thessalonian church, and incidentally, Thessalonians is one of the first books that Paul ever wrote, there was no scripture for what Paul was setting those churches up. And that's why it called traditions. I've given you some traditions for you to follow. In fact, look what he told you to do when you got around people that didn't follow the traditions that Paul gave. Look again in verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Paul said there is going to be some people in that first century Thessalonian church, there's no Bible for it. There's no chapter and verse for it. I'm not going to do it. And Paul said when you find someone like that, you need to withdraw from somebody that's like that. Folks, there's all kinds of things in a church that are tradition that we don't have a chapter and verse. Somebody has an ulterior motive in using that kind of thinking, and we are going to get that, to that ulterior motive in just a few minutes. Uh, he makes it clear there in uh, verse number six that uh, whatever traditions Paul said, I've given you, 
You need to follow those two. You know that uh, Paul knew Christians need structure. Paul knew that Christians need structure in their home and structure at church and structure in their country. And already there were those in that first century, even in the church, that said, whatever happens, happens. And Paul said, no, no, we don't run church like that. In fact, listen to me, if, if you'd write the verse down, it'll help 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Paul said, how is it then, brethren, saying to the Corinthian church, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. That was the Corinthian church. People came into the church and said, well, I feel like doing it, so I think I should have a right to do it. And Paul said, no. Paul said, let everything be done decently and in order. God wants some order in what he does. God wants some order in your home. That's why he set a structure up. God wants some order in the church, and that's why he set a structure up. He hasn't given a chapter and verse on every one of those details, but Paul set those things up, and Paul called them tradition. So could I say to you as nicely as I can, if you're a goofball, did I say that? And you're thinking, I'm only going to follow what's given in a book and chapter and verse. I'm not going to follow any tradition. Paul said to the people in the first century, stay away from you. Because every church has some tradition. I've given you two things. We are looking here at scripture or tradition do you know, as, uh, as soon as Paul uh, gave those early churches some things uh, that didn't have a chapter and verse that he expected them to follow, their, their, he knew, Paul knew, just like today, there's always somebody that will cry foul. There's always somebody that thinks they're building a church extra biblical, meaning outside of biblical. But Paul said, you need to follow the traditions that I have given in the setting up of that church. And not only that, but look there in verse number 4, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 4. Paul says, and we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that you both do and will do the things which we command you. Folks, that's not all scripture verses. Paul gave them some tradition in establishing those churches, and he said, I trust that you're going to follow these things. It wasn't all chapter and verses. Some of it was certainly other things. Uh, if you say, well, preacher, that's, you're just reading that in the text. Well, you'd have to say that, I guess. Back up to the previous chapter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Paul says again, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. You could use the statement, our epistle is scripture, but you can't use the statement by our word. Paul said, you need to be careful of those that are trying to throw out the window anything that doesn't have a clear chapter and verse because that will eventually throw you out the window. So far, we're looking at scripture or tradition, and I say to you that first, we do believe in the prominence of scripture. Second, if you'd write this down, we also believe 
in the passing down of church tradition. We also believe in the passing down of church tradition. Do you know uh, the reason it's, in, it's important to understand that Paul established some traditions in every church he started is these people that are saying, I'm only going to follow chapter and verse. I'm not going to follow any tradition. You're doing contrary to what Paul set up. That's not an evidence of being more spiritual than everybody else. It's an evidence of being less spiritual than everybody else. And again, that's what they'll say. And so, you know, churches are different. You can go down the street and find another Bible-believing church that does something different. We're not all the same. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talked about it's the same spirit that directs churches, but there are differences of administration. So you're going to go down to some church. They're not going to start Sunday night with four hymns, two of them being favorites, and then a word of prayer, another hymn, and go into the announcements. They're going to do something different. That doesn't make them wrong, and that doesn't make you right. It accepts the fact that in a church, churches are operated by the scriptures, and they're also operated by tradition. I say, well, pastor, then it sounds like any church that has any tradition, I guess it's okay. No, that's point number three. And so uh, turn, if you would, now over to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter number 7. Again, if you are taking notes, we're looking at scripture or tradition. Uh, Mark chapter 7. First of all, we do believe in the prominence of scripture. Scripture rises above everything else. But secondly, we also believe in the passing down of church tradition. Paul gave some traditions. They weren't all scripture. Paul set up some things, and uh, he expected them to follow how he set it up. And in fact, he said, you find somebody that's going to buck that, buck him. Don't fall for that. He's going to hurt you in your walk with God. Having said that, preacher, not, certainly, pastor, there are traditions in some churches that are totally anti-scriptural. And Well, look here in Mark chapter 7 and verse number 9. Mark chapter 7 and verse 9, Jesus here is speaking to the Pharisees of his day. Jesus said, and he, verse 9, and he, Jesus, said unto them, the Pharisees, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Now, if you went to some churches, they have two equal sources of authority. If you went to a Roman Catholic church, they would have the Bible and they would have Roman Catholic tradition. And if you ever challenged them and said, well, why do you do that? because that's not found anywhere in Scripture. They would say, well, it's our church tradition. And, and they're equal. As far as they're concerned, they have equal authority. That's why would a church do that? So they can pick and choose which one they want at any particular time. Do you know that if you were to go to a Mormon church, they have two equal authorities. Their Book of Mormon, they have another book called Pearl of Great Price or Articles of Faith. They have two equal authorities. If you were to go to a JW uh, church, uh, they have two equal authorities, a New World Translation and another book, either Make Sure of All Things or Let God Be True. I'm saying to you, if you went to many churches today, and I loosely use the word church, 
they have two authorities. And you say, well, Pastor, it kind of sounds like you're suggesting that our church uphold the scriptures and church tradition equally. Never. You know, the priority is always given to the Word of God. If something is a tradition and it doesn't have a chapter and verse, that doesn't make it wrong. Unless it's contrary to something that God put in his word. Folks, we don't have a confessional in this church. We don't have a little booth and you wait to the green light and you come in and shut door and then there's a red light and you don't uh, lean in toward this little screen and say, uh, Father, <laughs> I have sinned greatly this week. And you say, well, Pastor, that's a tradition of a church, but it's contrary to the word of God. So we don't do anything that's contrary to the word of God. Would you write this third statement down? We believe the priority is always scripture over church tradition. We believe the priority is always scripture over church tradition. Church tradition is never on the same footing as the scriptures. The scriptures always rise higher than any tradition and whenever a church tradition conflicts with what the scriptures say, the church tradition goes. It's down, it's out, that Bible is upheld. So again, I say third, we believe the priority is always scripture over church tradition. What's going on in Mark 7, Pastor? Well, look there in verse 1, Mark 7, verse 1. Then, sorry, then came together unto him, that's to Jesus, the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. And so there, the, these Pharisees had come unglued. They're watching Jesus' disciples starving, just, just grab some food and start eating away. And they are offended. They said, we have a tradition. And our tradition is that they have to wash. And in one of the texts, Mark 7, Matthew 15, talks about oft. It's not just good enough to wash once and wash twice. They have to wash often before they can eat anything. And they were trying to demoralize Jesus Christ because Jesus' disciples didn't keep up that tradition. Look again at verse number 9. Our Lord in response said to them, he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. Jesus wasn't against tradition unless tradition was against the scriptures. So folks, someone comes along and says, preacher, I really think we need to do this in the church because uh, it's just a good tradition. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to search the scriptures. And we're going to see if the scriptures somewhere is contrary to that. Do you know if there's a scriptural mandate that any church is ignoring to uphold their tradition, tradition goes, scripture stays. Our position isn't if it's not found in scripture with a church, uh, chapter and verse then it's tradition and it's wrong. That is not the position of the church. The position of the church is if there is a tradition that is against a clear verse in the Word of God, then the tradition goes. If you're taking notes, would you write these three words down? 
Do you know all of the things in the Bible fall into three categories? Would you write these words down? Some of the things are scriptural. And so there's a lot of things that there are chapter and verses to do. So some things in the Bible that we're to do are scriptural. Uh, there's other things that some churches like to do that are anti-scriptural. And so the first place you have is find verse 4, Pastor, it's scriptural. Uh, meeting together as a church. Folks, Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's scriptural. So what we're doing tonight, we're doing because it's scriptural. Folks, there are some churches what they're doing is anti-scriptural. There are literally chapters and verses that clearly are against it. But you know, as much as there are things that are scriptural and there are things that are anti-scriptural, do you know in the middle there are things, and this is the third word to write down, non-scriptural. I didn't say anti-scriptural. I said non-scriptural. So there's no verse against it. There's no verse for it. If you were to do it, it doesn't violate any scripture. So it's non-scriptural. And again, this notion that I'm only going to follow things that are scriptural, I'm not going to do anything that doesn't have a chapter and verse well, they're kicking out the anti-scriptural, and we'd agree with that. But they're also kicking out the non-scriptural. And folks, there's many things, I've said this already, there is many things that we do in this church, and it's true in other churches, that don't have a chapter and verse, but they're not anti-scripture. Wednesday night, we have a Wednesday night children's program. During the school year, it's Master Club. During the summer months, it's Patch Club. Do you know there's no clear verse in the Bible to have a children's program? Shame on us. No, there's no shame there whatsoever. There is no scripture that's contrary to a church that's specifically teaching children on their level the Word of God. We don't feel guilty about having a children's program. We don't think twice about having a children's program. But you that think that if there's not a chapter and verse in there, it needs to stop. You don't want that to stop. Aren't you glad we have bathrooms? I'll be as careful as I can. If you're against anything that doesn't have a chapter and verse, you'd probably be okay with us locking up the men's and ladies' doors of the bathrooms and just give you a shovel to go out in the back. Say, Pastor, that's gross. We don't have chapter and verse for bathrooms. We don't have chapter and verse for so many things for nursery. Aren't you ladies with little babies happy we have a nursery? Uh, we don't have any chapter verse for after a Sunday night service food fellowship. We don't have any chapter and verse for sports in the gym afterwards. We don't have any chapter and verse for padded chairs in the auditorium. I guarantee you're glad that they're not hardwood. Uh, we don't have any chapter and verse for air conditioning, for bathrooms with running water, for a parking lot to park the cars. There are no chapter and verses for all those things. And so if you're going to be consistent and want to kick out everything that doesn't have a chapter and verse, somewhere you're going to say to yourself, stop right there. I'm saying to you, third, 
We've learned third, we believe that priority is always scripture over church tradition. Um, you that use the no chapter verse so it has to go, you're not using it on those other things. You're just using it on the things that you don't want to do. I give you four things. I've got five total. Here's number four. Uh, look over there, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So to this point, while you're turning, first, we do believe in the prominence of Scripture. Scripture is the highest, uh, the highest uh, thing we ever refer to. Secondly, we also believe in the passing down of church traditions. We understand that. We understand there's things that are passed down in the Baptist church tradition. Just because it's tradition doesn't make it wrong because Paul established some traditions in the church that he set up, all of them. In fact, Paul was so keen on them following those traditions that he said, you find somebody that won't, and you need to stay away from them. Third thing we found out is we do believe, sorry, we believe the priority is always scripture over church tradition. There in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 16. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. but if any man seemed to be contentious, no, stop right there. Somebody's arguing over something in the church. If any man seemeth to be contentious, we have no such custom. Neither the churches have got custom. Give me another word in light of this message for custom. Tradition. If you know 1 Corinthians 11, you know that there are really two main issues in 1 Corinthians 11. The first 16 verses talk about authority. Authority in the home, authority in the church, our, our surrendering to God. The first 16 verses are about authority. From verse 17 onward, he talks about uh, the Lord's Supper. And so how when we have the Lord's Supper every three months, we always turn 1 Corinthians 11, the last part, well, that first part is talking about authority, and part of the authority issue is hair. And a woman shows that she's submitted to the authority God placed her over by long hair, and a man uh, recognizes the authority God's given him by short hair. You know, when I was a teenager, for the most part, I, I did what was right. I did say for the most part. Do you know the last stronghold in my life that kept God from taking control of my life was my hair. And it didn't go halfway down my back. I, I don't think I could have grown it that far. Uh, uh, but it was over the ears, and it was, you know, on the shirt collar and all the rest of that. And how many times I would have a discussion with my mother. She was the one to cut my hair. Robert, would you let me cut your hair the way the Bible says a man should have his hair cut? No. I don't know why she asked, but she did ask. And so she asked. I said, no. And you know, whenever we get into that discussion, she'd always take me to verse 14, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 14. Paul said, Doth not even nature itself teach you that a man have long hair is a shame unto him? So that's pretty clear. I didn't like the fact it was that clear. For, for these people that say, I only want chapter and verse, well, some of them have long hair, men. They don't want that chapter and verse. You know, just as much as men struggled with long hair, women struggled with something different. Look at the next verse, verse 15. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory for her, for her hair is giving her for a covering. And so women have a struggle about chopping it off. 
And you know, Paul knew that when he wrote to these Corinthians that were so self-determined to do what they wanted to do, he made it clear, verse 14, man's hairs be cut short, woman's hairs grow long. He knew there'd be some people that would still argue. Look what he said to those that still argued the clear chapter and verse. Look at verse 16. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen. But if any man seem to be contentious, they have a hard time swallowing verse 14 and 15. We have no such custom. Neither the churches of God. You know what he said? If you struggle with a clear chapter and verse, you need to look at the custom that's been established in churches. Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. Would you write this fourth thing down? Fourth thing, we believe in the power of long-standing church traditions. Let me say that to you again. We believe in the power of long-standing church traditions. You say, well, preacher, I, I think if there's no chapter and verse, I'm not going to do it. Then you are going to have to ignore a long-standing history of churches that have done those things. And you're going to have to thumb your nose up at what churches that have proved to have the power of God on them have done for all of these years in order to do your way. He said, listen, if you still are contentious about the hair issue, he said, you need to consider the custom of churches. You need to see the Bible-believing churches, how they do it in that area of their ministry. Folks, it's a powerful influence. It ought to be on you. Well, I'm just against it. Is that what you see in the churches that have experienced a touch of God in their ministry? Were they against what you're against, or did they instead exemplify exactly what you're fighting so hard against? Custom's a big thing. Not custom that's contrary to the Word of God. No, that's out. Because the Word of God is always prominent. But you find a custom in a church, and that church is seeing the touch of God. And not that church, but he talked about other churches. And you find that there is something consistent that they do. Listen, I, I, I preach a lot of churches. Most churches that are on the ball have a track rock. Because they're trying to get their people to hand out gospel tracks everywhere they go. Give me a chapter and a verse for that one. Most churches have a mission board and uh, they support missionaries all around the world. You'd be hard-pressed to find a chapter and a verse for that. Sure, you'll get Philippi supported Paul several times. You won't get that. That's a tradition in a church. But you know what? When you consistently look at churches that have stayed faithful to the old-fashioned Faith. You remember what Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith. He's not just talking about some doctrines. He's talking about some practices that go on in churches that have seen the hand of God on it. He said, when you find that there is a consistent custom in churches that have God on it, you can't ignore that even if you can't find a scripture verse for it. Again, to this point, we've seen four. 
We've seen we do believe in the prominence of Scripture. Secondly, we also believe in the passing down of church tradition. Third, we believe the priority is always Scripture over church tradition. Fourth, we believe in the power of long-standing church traditions. You know, it's not the aggressive, soul-winning, missionary-supporting churches that are throwing out the King James Bible and getting a new version. No, that's the contemporary churches. The old-fashioned, the custom of Bible-believing churches has been stick with this. Do you know the custom of old-fashioned Bible-believing churches to sing the old-fashioned hymns? There are some churches that are veering from the hymns to the newest thing that's out in the block. You won't find that custom in the old-fashioned churches. You won't find it. Do you know this business of taking the gospel out to the lost? This business of preaching that has conviction? This business of dressing up for the house of God? I'm saying that all of those things, Pastor, I don't think we have scripture for all those things, and I would agree with that. But you're going to see a track record of Bible-preaching churches that have God on it. And that's just a verification that you need to stick to that. You don't need to toss that. So when come, someone comes to you and says, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to do what book and chapter and verse give me. Well, that sounds spiritual. I'm not going to follow anything that doesn't have a scripture. That sounds spiritual. It's not spiritual at all. It, it, I'm going to make a statement, and you can challenge me in this after. The place in the scriptures to find some direction for hair, long hair, short hair, is 1 Corinthians 11. I, I don't know of any other passage in the Bible where the subject of hair on a Christian is laid out like 1 Corinthians. How many sort of could agree with that? It's probably the only place where they're going to get any instruction on hair, long hair, short hair. Now look again what Paul said in verse 16. Because Paul has just, for the first time in this letter to 1 Corinthians, written verse 14 and 15. So Paul has, for the very first time, written Scripture in verse 14 and 15 that give you and I some clear direction on hair. Look at verse 16. If any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. You know what he's saying in verse 16? He's just written down verse 14. They have, they've just read those two verses. There was no Scripture before they got 1 Corinthians' letter. Paul said, if anybody seems to be contentious, we have no such custom in the churches. That custom was not set forth by Scripture. It right now was verified by Scripture. Already in the churches that Paul had established, Paul already taught them a scriptural tradition about short hair on men and long hair on women. And Paul says to these people, after just reading for the first time, verse 14 and 15, if anyone's fighting that, look at the custom of the churches. That means the custom of the churches was not established by Scripture. The custom of the churches was established by traditions that Paul taught. You have to be careful when someone says, I'm only going to do it if there's a chapter and verse. 
I'm not going to do it if it's just a tradition. I think that's a foolish position. I give you the last thing. I'm done with this. Look there, if you would, in Revelation 3. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter... So please don't tell somebody. You know what? I'm only going to do it if there's scripture. Somebody is going to put one of those in your forehead. Loser. Loser. Did I say that right? Loser. Revelation 3.17. Revelation 3.17. Well, I thought they'd think I was spiritual. Just like you thought when someone told you that. You need to think through it. Revelation 3.17. John is writing to the last church age. Because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods, and if need of nothing. Whoever this church is, it's laying to see in church. You know, if they were bragging, they said, well, we got everything we want. We're rich and we're increased with goods. We don't need anything. But look what the Lord said about that church, last part of verse 17. And knowest thou not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Could you write this last one? This is the last point. We believe that the product of your experiment will be disastrous. Again, we believe that the product of your experiment will be disastrous. Because what you're doing is an experiment. You're trying to do something that no previous generation has tried. You see, in all the previous generations, children so admired their parents they want to be just like them. Children dressed, uh, a boy would dress like his dad, and a girl would dress like her mom. A boy would try to learn the work of his dad. A girl would try to learn the housework of a mom. And, and that, every generation until this generation have realized, if I'm going to reach where my parents reached, I'm going to have to do it that way. Now, for the very first time, there is a generation that says, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it a different way. So that means it's an experiment. You are experimenting when you say, I'm only going to do what there's a chapter and verse. I'm not going to follow any tradition. It's an experiment. It's going to end in a disaster. But here's the, here's the heartbreak. If it's your experiment, it's going to affect your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. Again, I say the fifth thing is we believe that the product of this experiment will be disastrous. They say, well, preacher, why would you say that? And, and listen real close. You're trying to convince everybody that you're only going to do what's clearly in the scriptures. But you're going to only apply that to the church. You're not going to apply that in every other area of your life. You're only going to apply it in the church. Now, follow my thinking. You say, well, Pastor, what do you mean? Some people are all messed up that they have to dress up for church. That's just tradition. It's a good one. Say, preacher, there's no chapter and verse that I need to do that, so I'm not going to do it. 
then don't dare you do it when you have an interview for a new job. Because there's no book and chapter. There's no chapter and verse. Oh, but you will dress up to get that good job. You see, people are using this excuse so that they don't feel tied to the commitments of their church, but they're not going to use this excuse in any other area of their life. They're not going to do it. Uh, someone says, well, I, I don't want to wear a tie. <laughs> I've had people say that. I, I don't want to wear a tie. That, that has been established church tradition. It's a, it, it's a statement of respect. It's even true in the secular world. The secular world expects people in business to dress up. Folks, we're in the king's business. Well, I'm not going to wear a tie because I can't find any chapter and verse for wearing of a tie. I already gave this example then when you take the tie off because there's no scripture. You need to take the wedding ring off. And that's when your wife will box you in both sides of the ears and thump you on. There's no scripture. But you're not going to change that, are you? You're going to keep wearing that, even though there's no scripture. But you're not going to do anything as far as church commitment. It's inconsistent. It's an experiment that's going to end up in a disaster. Uh, some people think, well, you know what? I don't want to sit in church three times a week, two hours at a time, because that's just a tradition. So surely you wouldn't watch TV seven nights a week because there's no scripture for it. You wouldn't play computer games four hours a night, three nights a week. Folks, there's no scripture for it. Nobody that says, I'm not going to a church that has all that tradition is going to apply that same standard for the rest of their life. What you're doing is an experiment. And it's an experiment that's going to end in a disaster. The last church period is the Laodicean church period, and they are going to convince themselves, I want as much of the world as I can possibly get. And that's why in Revelation 3.17, they said, I'm rich and an increase of goods and have need of nothing. And God looked down in their hearts and said that they were poor and naked they experimented with their future and they totally lost anything of spiritual value as they chased the rest of that. It's a sad thing. I say, uh, I'm saying this notion of I'm going to be so much more spiritual than others and only do what the scriptures dictate. You know, that's only excuse. And the people that use that are only going to use it in the matters of the church. They aren't going to use it in any other area. Everyone who objects to rules made by church leadership will argue that such rules are not expressly stated in Scripture. But what about what the Scripture says about church authority? What are you going to do about that? So someone says, this church, there's too much tradition, I'm staying home. That's unscriptural. <laughs> That's anti-scriptural. The Bible says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You can't stay home and still claim you're following chapter and verse. You're not following chapter and verse. You know, every man who objects to rules made by church leadership, arguing that, that those rules aren't expressed in Scripture anywhere, has hundreds of rules in their home. Now, I'm going to pick on you men. You ladies get to hear. 
Well, I'm only going to do something and there's a chapter and verse. You've got all kinds of rules in your house that have no chapter and verse. You tell your younger ones to be in bed by 8. Where do you get that in the scriptures? You tell your older ones that they have to be in bed by uh, 11. Where do you get that in scripture? You tell your children they have to eat their main meal before dessert. Where do you get that in scripture? You have all kinds of rules that have no Bible basis. So if your wife said to you, honey, you don't have any scripture for that. I'm not doing it. <laughs> that wouldn't sit well. No one would say, I have such a scriptural wife. <laughs> you wouldn't use the word scriptural to des describe your wife. If your children said, Daddy, I know you want me to be in bed by 11, but you don't have any scripture for that, so I'm not going to do it. You are not going to fall on your face and say, I have such a super spiritual daughter. You're not going to say that at all. But we're supposed to be impressed when you say to people in a church situation, I'm only going to do what there's a chapter and verse, and if there's not a chapter and verse, I am not going to do it. You're no different than the wife says to her husband, I'm not going to do it, than the children that say to the parents, I'm not going to do it. There's nothing fascinating about that. That is a rebel at heart. He said, Pastor, could we go on to something else? It's, it's, it's all in there. I'm saying to you, it's an experiment that you're trying, and it'll be a disaster. Sad ending is someone that says, I just want to follow the Bible. One of the first things they give up is gospel outreach. Never try to get the gospel out. Next thing they give up is Bible reading and prayer, and then they start hit and miss at church until it's miss and miss. They'll probably venture out and go to another church that has less expectations, but they'll only go for a while. You know, people that go to a church because it demands less, it's not long before the less is still too much. They want to go somewhere that has less than less until they finally go nowhere. Well, my church's expectations are just man-made. Every single organization on the planet has expectations if you work there. You know the justice system, if you're in it, you have guidelines. Government does, Kentucky Fried Chicken does, Walmart does, Tim Horton does. If you're in the military, there are expectations. You work with NBC, ABC, CBS, there's expectations. You live in a trailer park, you have expectations. Do you know Revenue Canada has expectations? The highway department. You can't black tint all of your windows in your vehicle say, well, I just want to do it. You have expectations. Do you know the garbage company? They have expectations. You know, we're a little loose at this point in this province, but you know there are provinces where you can be fined if you put your recyclable stuff in the trash? This idea that I'm not going to do anything that doesn't have a chapter and verse because it therefore must be tradition. Where are you going to work? Where are you going to shop? It's just impractical. But the reason that you'll follow it is because it sounds so spiritual to get out of a church commitment. Folks, we need more commitment to God. This world has their fingers too much in our life. I'm done with this. You know, the people that have convinced themselves, and often they'll convince somebody else, 
that I'm leaving the church because there's too many man-made rules and too little God. You know what you'll find in the vast majority of those after they leave the church? That they will do everything that the world tells them to do. How many young people have we seen left, leave this church? You know, one of the first things they start, or they quit listening to hymns and start listening to the world's music. There's no chapter and verse for that. What they do is they start showing off more of their flesh. They buy expensive jeans that have been shredded through a paper shredder. They get piercings in their ears, in their face, in their body. They dye their hair pink and green. They get at least one tattoo. They begin to drink alcohol. They become sexually active. Why would they do all that stuff? Because there's no scripture for any of that stuff. Because that's what the world says you need to do to be in. Of course, you don't want to be in the world. You want to be in God. You want to be in Christ. You want to have the touch of God on you. We've seen tonight several things. We've seen the prominence of the scriptures. It's more important than anything. We have seen that uh, the, we believe the passing down of church traditions. We know that. We know there are some things that don't have a chapter and verse. But that doesn't mean they're wrong, Pastor. How could they not be wrong as long as they don't contradict a chapter and verse? They can still be acceptable. We've seen, we believe, the power of long-standing church traditions. Before you walk away from a Bible church, because after all, what you're looking for, have you seen any church that's done that, that flourished? I'm not talking about growing. Growth is more than just numbers that has a touch of God. They're trying to get souls won. What you're thinking to do is an experiment. The rest of your family hinges upon what you do. Let's pray. Lord, we began Jude 3. Earnestly contend for the faith. And Lord, that faith is more than just a handful of doctrines. It's practical life. It's home life. It's church life. And Lord, I've heard it over a dozen times in these last few months. I'm only going to do what a book and chapter tells me to do. All the rest is just tradition, and I'm going to toss it out. What a foolish statement that is. Lord, every church that Paul set up, he gave some traditions for them to follow. And Lord, those things have followed for 2,000 years until now the churches that have a heart for sinners and have a desire to get the gospel around the world. Those are the churches that, yes, they follow the scriptures, but they also have continued some traditions that were handed down from previous generations. Help us not to abandon those things, as some think it'd be wise. Lord, there's a lot at stake. Some are going to make a decision. It's not going to be evident that first day, first week, first month, maybe not even the first year. But it'll be evident in five years. It'll be evident in 10 and 15 and 20. But by that time, it's too late to undo what's happened in 20 years. Would you remind us, Lord, what Jude said, that we were to earnestly contend for the faith. 
Help us not to experiment with our spiritual lives and that of our family. Help us to walk that proven path. 